0: Hello, welcome to the Wednesday, December 7th, 2016 edition of the Santa Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich, and today I'm recording from Jacksonville, Florida. Many modern web applications are moving away from SQL databases to NoSQL. We talked about this a couple times in this podcast already, but uh, one stack that gains some popularity here is the so-called MEAN stack, where MEAN stands for MongoDB, ExpressJS, AngularJS, and NodeJS. The beauty of this is, from a developer point of view, it's front-end to back-end JavaScript. So we the only language you're coding in on the server or on the client side is JavaScript and then MongoDB will natively deal with JSON objects very nicely. So first question, of course, if we have no SQL, does this mean we have no SQL injection? And actually that's somewhat true. In particular with MongoDB parameters, don't they have to be escaped or the like, they're just passed to the database as a string. So that works out pretty nicely. However, the parameters themselves they can be JSON objects. And if you're not careful in assembling those JSON objects, Then of course, you're back to what you had with SQL injection, maybe not quite as bad, but a lot of the tricks that you're sort of used to with SQL injection are possible. Boyan wrote some of this up in today's diary, and he walks through it in quite a bit of detail with examples. So if you're testing a MongoDB-based applications, you definitely do want to take a look at his code samples to see what sort of the patterns are that you should look out for and how to write exploits in order to test whether or not your application is vulnerable. In forensics, one of the first thing that investigator often has to do is to acquire an image of the drive that's supposed to be investigated. Well uh, NCASE has a free utility to do that, a forensic imager that allows you uh, to create these copies from multiple different file systems. Sadly it suffers from a number of denial of service vulnerabilities and also a heap based buffer overflow. Of course a suspect could use this vulnerability to either disrupt the acquisition of the Trife or even compromise the investigators workstation. Now the heap based buffer overflow only occurs in the riser file system which of course isn't commonly used but then again we're talking about acquiring a suspect's drive here. But a suspect may very well have used the riser file system just to evade detection and to attack this very common forensics tool. NCASE at this point has not released a fix for this vulnerability yet. Now, there are alternatives. There's other software that you could use in order to acquire images. This is not the only tool that you have available. But of course, a lot of investigators are relying on the NCASE suite of tools and are also likely to use Forensic Imager as part of this suite. I think it may have been a year or so ago that we wrote about how many of these brute force SSH password attacks are trying to password Raspberry, which of course is the default password for the Raspberry Pi. Well, it uh, looks like uh, Raspberry Pi Raspbian is now reacting to this and the SSH server will no longer be enabled by default On future Raspbian images. Now this poses a little bit of a problem because many people do run these Raspberry Pis without a monitor attached so the SSH server was your one way to get in after you installed the operating system and then configure it to your needs. They set up a simple workaround if you do want SSH enabled you just have to drop a file with the name SSH in the boot partition and this will enable sh on the first boot of course then it's up to you to secure it and set up a better password or even better disable passwords would have been nice in my opinion if that sh file would have just been a public key that you then use uh, to authenticate any logins but at this point it looks like all you need is a file with that name it may be empty and this will then prompt the operating system to start up the SSH server. And talking about default passwords, uh, we also have a new advisory for Sony IP cameras and it affects a wide range of them. The Telnet and SH server is normally turned off on these systems, but with a simple web request with a fixed username and passwords, uh, you can enable the Telnet and SSH server. Now, once enabled, there is a secret backdoor password that can be used to log in. The password isn't known yet, just the hash of the password. And I haven't seen anybody come forward with a cracked hash. Now, interestingly, the same hash was also posted about two years ago to a forum where someone essentially was just offering $50 to anybody who would crack that hash. So not clear if back then someone was already looking at these cameras. And that's an important part of this. The disclosed vulnerabilities are really sometimes just the tip of the iceberg. There are really a lot more of these issues, hidden passwords and such, in these systems that nobody ever talks about. Well, and that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. As usual, if you could do me the favor, advertise this podcast. I do it because people listen to it feedback is always welcome and talk to you again tomorrow bye